This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, you're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dafrin Johan. 72-year-old Prabowo Subianto of the Garinda Party will be the new president of Indonesia after defeating Ganja Pranovo of PDIP and Anis Baswedan, an independent candidate, at the elections last week. A few interesting things to note is that Prabowo won emphatically in one round, receiving around 58 to 60% of the votes, making him an incredibly popular president. Prabowo's running mate, who will now be vice president, is Jokowi's son, Gibran. And while PDIP's candidate did not win the presidential election, the party won the most seats in the House of Representatives. So what does all of this mean for the future of Indonesian political economy? Joining me on the show today is once again Made Supriyatma, visiting fellow in the Indonesia Studies Programme at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. Made is also a journalist. As always, this conversation will also be available on podcasts. You can look us up beyond the ballot box on Spotify, the BFM app, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Made, welcome back to the show. First things first, how are you feeling? Thank you for having me. Feelings uncertain. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it looks like the uh, Bravo wins by a landslide, but as a citizen and also has the former activists in the 90s, I feel something is not going right for the country. You predicted um, that Joko is incredibly popular um, and his tremendous popularity could make it an easy victory for Prabowo. So what do the results of the Indonesian elections tell you about politics in Indonesia today? I think 58% is an incredible, incredible number. Even Jokowi didn't do that, uh, didn't get that kind of vote before in his second election, where still he had consolidating, consolidating his power in his first term. And then going to the second term, he only got 55% uh, of the votes. And that was uh, by dividing uh, Indonesian electorate badly. Remember in 2019, there's a, a, a huge fight over who is uh, more pluralist, uh, more secular, and then who is uh, uh, Islamic radicals, uh, something like that. And then Jokowi was able to define Prabowo, who is uh, who never go to mosque and never doing uh, Friday prayer, as uh, as uh, Islamist uh, radicals. And then you'll see the exit poll at the time. The minorities voters scared to death that they elected Jokowi by a huge margin, above 90% of the minority problem, uh, minority uh, voters went to Jokowi. I think uh, this is a tremendous uh, victory, it's a landslide for clear for Prabowo, but what does it mean? I think I'm more and more convinced after looking at the data, looking at uh, hearing what uh, happened on the field, and the, at the grassroots, I'm more and more convinced this 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 is the elections, the closest elections to uh, very similar to the new order elections. 
Right. What do you mean, Made, by closest elections? Because it seems like um, it is a very clear-cut victory, at least at the presidential election level. Um, 58% to 60% of the votes went for Probovo. And at least from the outside looking in, it seems like while many countries are becoming increasingly polarised uh, politically, whether it's Malaysia, the United States, India, in many countries in Europe, um, even in the UK, uh, Indonesia um, doesn't seem to be polarised in that sense. They seem to be unified, um, at least politically, at the ballot box, um, coming together to vote for one candidate. Um, is that mm-hmm. a fair assessment that Indonesia does not seem to be politically polarised? Not yet. Uh, right. Polarisation is always uh, comes from above, mm-hmm. right? from the club, from the elite. Uh, if the elites are polarized and they make the, your politics as polarized in one country, and as it become polarized, goes to the bottom. Right. Uh, that's what happened in Indonesia. Yeah, they decided not to use uh, uh, polarizing polarizing issues, not to use identity politics at this time. That's for one reason, because they know exactly that seventy percent of the Indonesian electorate are. Uh, secularists uh, or nationalists, uh, that's that for sure. So right now, I think the problem with Jokowi is that how to get the, the votes from a fellow uh, secular nationalist, which is Ganjar Pranowo. So uh, they hit Ganjar Pranowo badly in his uh, hometown, in his home province, uh, and also among Javanese voters, uh, among all ident- uh, what is that, uh, moderate uh, Islam. Yeah, and then they took uh, all of that uh, votes to Prabowo. This is uh, uh, what, how they are using it. They are using it exactly like the new order. They bring in all of the state apparatuses, uh, the bureaucracy, the military, the police, even though there's nobody want to talk about it. Yeah, nobody, nobody admitted. Uh, just like in the new order, everything seems normal, but it's at a grassroots level, it's not normal. So, what is your take on the fact that PDIP won the most seats, or almost double of what Garinda won, but Probovo from Garinda won the presidential elections? So, one party won the most seats. But candidate from another party won the presidential election. Um, what does that mean for Indonesian politics? So this is a smart tactic, uh, mobilization tactics by uh, uh, Prabowo and Jokowi's team. Uh, they try to, to decouple between uh, legislative election and presidential election. So, but initially, uh, Jokowi wants those who vote for Prabowo, Prabowo Gibran also vote for PSI. As you know, probably the PSI is a new young political party based on the urban uh, young middle class uh, voters. Jokowi's uh, youngest sons took over the party in October. And just one day after becoming the members of the party, he took the, the chairmanships of the party. So initially, initially the Jokowi's target is crushing PDIP and then at the same time elevating uh, Prabowo Gibran. But then I think uh, around December, at the end of December, he had a, a, a feeling that this is impossible task to do because uh, crossing PDIP is a very hard because this is a grassroots party. This is a party has been going through repression, oppositions, and 
uh, outside the government for 10 years and then it's still unscathed, um, not being divided. Yeah, uh, the vote is almost the same from time to time, around 16 to uh, 20% of the votes. So it's impossible. So then he uh, 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 abandoned that plan. So now he does. He didn't. He didn't want uh, PSI to get into the parliament, and he just won uh, Prabowo Gibran to win the election. So he started to decouple uh, this, and then uh, people vote for PDIP. Uh, please vote for the PDIP if you like, and then. But also remember that I'm your president, and then remember to vote for Prabowo Gibran for the for the presidential election because this guy will replace me in the next term. Yeah, this is actually Prabowo Gibran. We can say that this is the third term of Jokowi because he's, Jokowi has a huge influence in that. But at the same time, what he did was uh, using as much as uh, incumbency power in order to sway the election. You know, he mm-hmm. used the military, the police, and uh, corruption. And then he's, uh, by by using uh, also the attorney general's office, yeah, he summoned the, the local leader with alleged uh, corruption. And the next day, they flipped their, their, their allegiance from Addis or uh, Ganjar to Prabowo Gibran. That's very, very clear <laughs> everywhere. Right. And also the effective use of the village head. Just like in the during the new order, you know, he promised uh, to extend the term of the village head from uh, five years to eight years. Uh, that means uh, more access to uh, what's that? The village funds, which is huge right now, uh, around five million, five billion uh, rupiah a year. So that will give uh, village head a strong positions, uh, uh, strong access to money to funds. Yeah, and to enrich themselves. If we have a fair election, it's impossible to have that 58%. Yeah. Right. You will have a meeting. Yeah. Well, you have 50%, 53%. But this is 58% and three horse race, three way race. That's really incredible. How can you do that? Prabowo won big. But at the House of Representatives, PDIP won Garinda by quite a big margin. Is Prabowo going to face challenges when it comes to carrying out his economic or social programs, getting laws passed in Parliament, for example? Or is the executive branch um, you know, in Indonesia, um, when it comes to the president, so strong that it doesn't matter. What matters is who wins the presidential um, elections and the rest of it, the rest of the compositions in parliament, for example, doesn't really matter. Well, uh, if PDIP alone uh, going to the opposition, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, because they will get around uh, 20 to 30 percent of the seats in mm. the parliament. It doesn't matter. It's not like in Jokowi's uh, first term. Where so many, I think he got he got an opposition. Almost half of the of the of the parties in the parliaments are in the opposition. Right. So it's a little bit harder for him to pass uh, a law. And then PDIP, as you know, is always a stubborn party, refused to build a coalition, a big coalitions. Right now, uh, PDIP wants to go alone. Alone, I think the parliament is not a big problem 
proper bubble. But I think in 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 the near future, the big challenges for Prabowo is uh, is Jokowi himself. Prabowo now owes Jokowi so much because of the Jokowi sway uh, the election for him. Had he run alone, alone, I don't think it, the resources will be like that. He might be bitten by Anis or Ganja. Yeah. Right. But uh, this is because of Jokowi, so he owes Jokowi so much, so it is Jokowi's power. I'm really amazed and gleeful to see how Prabowo will face Jokowi. And uh, Prabowo has a, it's a better position because Jokowi is betrayed Megawati and PDIP after helping him with seven winning seven elections. Seven election for God's sake. Five for Jokowi, one for his sons, one for his son-in-law. It's all using PDIP. Prabowo is a military man. As a soldier, what the soldier hates the most is a betrayal, is a traitor. Could he then embrace Jokowi and giving Jokowi more power? That remains the question. So I'm really, really uh, want to see the result, how he and how he will handle Jokowi. I think now Megawati is in a better position. Prabowo, of course, will go to Megawati no matter what right. and ask for support in order to face Jokowi. Let's go for a very quick break first. On the show with me today is Made okay. Supriyatma. He's a visiting fellow in the Indonesian Studies Program at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. We will continue our conversation after these messages. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Made Supriyatma, visiting fellow in the Indonesia Studies Program at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute and he's helping me unpack the results of the Indonesian presidential elections 2024 that just took place. Now, this conversation will also be available on podcasts. You can look up Beyond the Ballot Box on Spotify, the BFM app, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you are listening to this on Spotify or Apple, I would really appreciate it if you could give us a follow, drop us a review. It would be really, really helpful. So, Made, give us a sense of how Indonesia voted and why in terms of whether it's, um, you know, was there a divide in terms of age, you know, the young versus the old? Um, was there an urban-rural divide in terms of voting? I just uh, saw the exit poll from a reputable survey company, Indicator Politik Indonesia, and I saw it as a, in, as a, in the regional, um, I think across island, all goes to Prabowo. Sumatra, uh, Java, Kalimantan is ob- all above 50%. Uh, in, in the presidential election, Anis won only in Aceh, South Sumatra. He lost Jakarta. I think he, he lost also uh, West Java. And Ganja was beaten everywhere. I think also in cross uh, generations, um, Gen Z, millennials, all goes, all goes to Prabowo. And then uh, also all the voters goes to Prabowo. So uh, I think uh, Prabowo win very uh, loud and clear everywhere, which is impossible in a democracy. <laughs> it's impossible in a in a democracy. The Gen Z and millennials will uh, vote how they will vote. They will vote by uh, uh, not based on the issues, but based on uh, social media. Most of them like uh, uh, dancing. 
generals dancing prabowos uh, no and then and then also people say that a very popular program about free lunch for school children and the and and the poor and people really like that but at the same time indonesia is known for strong youth movements it is known for strong um, student unions and and all coming out and and protesting against the state against big businesses for workers rights indonesia has a youth centric party that made grounds in ways that other countries um, in southeast asia was looking to and learning from they do care but they they just don't know i talk with uh, uh several people from from the campaign not the prabowo right uh um and i thought that i was told that uh, human rights issues is not really important right now and the social justice issues the inequality no people don't want to talk about that i told them honestly how can you say that this is this is the most uh, ridiculous argument that i've i ever heard they they are not becoming an issue because you guys don't make it don't want to make it an issue. If you guys campaign based on this, I think people will pay attention and you might win this election if you are going to this way. But both Anis and Ganja, they are not interested in making this an issue. That's really, really makes me really uh, perplexed or amazed why they didn't go to this way. Jokowi, Big probable twice based exactly based on these issues. Yeah, well, young people is always critical, but you know, right now there there's a sociological change in in Indonesian university, especially state university, where where the brightest uh, uh, young people uh, goes to school, and most of them are are urban middle class. And now it's become more liberalized, more market oriented. Only the rich can afford to go to that uh, uh, universities, and more importantly, students don't have time for activities. Four years college—that's all. On four years, you have to graduate, and otherwise, that will be you have to spend more money, you have to spend more time, uh, or you be the qualified disqualified or drop out from the university if you don't graduate in four years. So this uh, raises a lot of tension for for students. But uh, student activism is not really gone from from uh, students. Um, I think uh, more and more the private university, marginal university students uh, join uh, the movement right now, and also. Um, what what's so strange about uh, I think uh, uh, about uh, the young movement is that more and more high school students are involved in this, especially just like a polytechnic uh, high school, like yeah, those vocational those, uh, schools. Right, right. In 2019, when we have uh, the movement reform being corrupt, it being corrupted, it's uh, I think as most of the participants is high school students, not 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 university students anymore. But I think, uh, and also always a note, the lower middle class uh, students movement is always making noise in Indonesia, noises in Indonesian politics. But you know, you need a more uh, structural, mobilized agency in order to make a big movement. That right. is a political party. If you have a strong opposition, and then opposition party, then. Most likely, its member will join the movement. 
That's what we learned in 98. In 98, it's impossible to make that huge movement without the participation of PDIP, which is which was underground at the time. And then they help us a lot. And then also the PPP activists, all of the opposition party and under oppression for the Suharto regime, they joined the activism. So um, without the, that political party, I think it's impossible to do. And then right now, I think it depends on uh, PDIP, whether PDIP will, will go to the opposition. I think uh, they, they probably will go to the opposition, not joining government, because they see that in the future, this, this, in this near future, there's something big will happen to Indonesia. The situation right now is just like in 65, when the president is ailing. And you know the 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 president elect mm-hmm. a health situation is not so great. So why not waiting? Uh, Jokowi's camp always say always over and over say uh, in order to convince their voters vote for for Prabowo because if you vote for Prabowo he will only last for two years. I heard it over and over again everywhere I go, and that convinced. Jokowi's voters, that Prabowo will only last for two years. Right. So will Gibran will take over, and Gibran take over means Jokowi's third term. This convinced uh, 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 Jokowi's voters to vote for Prabowo Gibran. So, Mari, as we know, Jokowi has been lauded by some quarters for infrastructure development, um, not just within Indonesia, but across the region as well. Um, but there is also criticisms leveled at him that, you know, these are not infrastructure um, development projects that necessarily help Indonesian masses. Um, and these are just mega projects that cost billions and billions of dollars, um, a lot of wastefulness and, and things like that. But the point is, many people look at Jokowi as this guy that really focused on building Indonesia's infrastructure, right? Um, so when you look at the results of these elections um, and, you know, understanding that Jokowi is um, pretty much, you know, campaigned for Probovo, um, are we looking at a situation where Indonesia voted for the continuation of Jokowi's socioeconomic program for Jokowi's infrastructure development? You see, there's a, in the exit poll, it's very, very clear that people vote for Prabowo is because of Jokowi. Right. Um, Jokowi can convince. And Jokowi is a technocratic populist populist uh, leader that uh, I think a term used by academia, uh, by academic, some academics, and I agree with that. Uh, he's, um, he's, a, uh, he's a technocratic because he knows uh, exactly how to build uh, uh, the country. He, the, the country needs uh, infrastructure. And he built that. With a huge, Indonesia has a huge, huge, huge uh, 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 debt right now. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to pay for that for the debt uh, without raising tax. And then the second thing, uh, he's a populist in the sense that he, uh, uh, in his term, I think he was able to uh, fix price, especially for the uh, essential. Uh, needs of the people. It's like uh, uh, the rice, uh, cooking oil, and all of that substantial that the uh, 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 need for the people to survive in order to survive. And he was able to do that. 
fixing the price, uh, controlling the market, which is uh, it's very very hard actually to sustain. Right now, for example, uh, uh, six months ago, the price of the rice is worth twelve thousand uh, rupiah, right. but now I think the price of rice is eighteen thousand uh, rupiah. I don't know why he couldn't he couldn't because I think he has no more money in order to fix the price, you know, uh, importing a lot of uh, rice and then put it uh, uh, on the government supply so stabilize the, the price of the market. I think it will be soon followed if this crisis is, uh, is going on and on uh, over time. I think it will be followed by uh, another uh, basic goods, another price of uh, uh, increase in uh, uh, a price of basic, another basic goods. I mean. Right. So um, both of them, I don't think uh, Prabowo has that kind of uh, things, and and Jokowi's legacy will be very, 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 very uh, hard to sustain, mm-hmm. like the costly new capital city. Yeah, in order to that to do that, Prabowo has to slash the budget and look for money from somewhere else. And the other day, I I, I took I I uh, I talked with. Uh, one of uh, uh, recipients of uh, Indonesian scholarships, Indonesian schol- uh, Indonesian Ministry of Finance mm-hmm. has a now has a, a scholarship to send around five thousand uh, uh, graduate students abroad. It was very very uh, huge uh, scheme uh, scholarships, and they have a uh, huge money in order to do that. Right, but then uh, I asked them. Uh, uh, she uh, happened to be uh, studying economy, uh, macroeconomy. And I asked her, is it possible to sustain this scholarship, this very expensive scholarships program, while at the same time you have to finance the new capital city? You have to finance, you have to pay uh, a, a lot of state debt. Is it possible to uh, continue this without raising uh, tax, especially for the, uh, for the uh, middle income? people in this country yeah right. is that is a, a could could possible uh, could it possible for for president Prabowo to do that right yeah Absolutely. and Jokowi will not be president at the time yeah. right and then, and then this uh technocratic and populist policy one thing that people don't realize it's very very expensive how could we how could we uh, uh pay for that yeah and and nobody is nobody could provide me uh, expert in Jakarta and abroad, I asked them, and nobody could provide me a clear and good answer for this. How can we go to pay for this? Right. Yeah. Everywhere, this kind of this kind of uh, uh, policies is very very expensive and not uh, sustainable. Right. So, know, the so, infrastructure will. Right. Oh, so, go ahead. So, from what I'm getting from you is that it's not so much a criticism of building infrastructure per se, but building infrastructure, spending billions of dollars without a plan on how to manage the finances, such as do we should we start taxing the rich? Should we start um, you know having wealth taxes? Should we increase corporate taxes, so on and so forth? Is is that your your concern with this massive in, of, infrastructure project? Of course. Right. Of course, of course. How can you tax the rich when the rich uh, pay for your campaign? Right. That's 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 a very very simple answer. Just like in in every, every everywhere in this world, 
mm-hmm. the rich, uh, the rich uh, uh, pay for your campaign, so you don't raise the tax. That's a very simple answer. And uh, right now, who who will carry the burden? It's a uh, uh, the average people. Yeah, and also uh, it's a very very costly. Just like it's just like uh, in the tourism industry, for example. Back early days, Jokowi. I don't. I think I. I, I don't know whether I, I. I raised this point before, but I think if, if yes, that's. But let's remind people about about this. But uh, Jokowi planned to create ten new Bali. Yeah, ten new Bali. That a billion of uh, dollars spent for that plan. Yeah. Hmm. Um, you see Labuan Bajo, um, uh, Mandalika, and also Toba and everything. The target was by 2024, Indonesia will get 20 million foreign tourists to come to this new Bali. What happened? In 2024, Malaysia got 26 million without that kind of program. 26 million foreign visitors. And Indonesian only got 9.6 billion mm-hmm. below Vietnam, yeah, even below Singapore. Right, absolutely. So what 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 does it mean? What does it mean? It's a, it just wastes money tremendously without any. And then a lot of people, a lot of elites in Jakarta get get very very rich from this program. Yeah, absolutely, because they monopolize monopolize everything. So. People don't want, and then one, I think, characteristic of Jokowi's government is that, like the populists everywhere, they are very, very lucky they live in internet era. Right. You know, he's, he's governing by, in Indonesia, we, we often cynically call him governing by buzzers, <laughs> yeah, governing by influencers. Yeah, that's right. what he did. If there's a crisis, then he will he will make a video with him him and his uh, grandsons. It's a very funny and uh, make a funny videos. And otherwise, or his buzzers or influencer will attack Anis Baswedan as a governor of Jakarta. Well, that's what he did. So uh, yeah, so so people forget about the crisis. And Jokowi is very very good at that. So uh, Jokowi really really subjugated the internet for his own use. So combined with that, combined with the popular policies, combined with uh, 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 huge dreams about Indonesia in 2045, and then uh, uh, you create an illusion, yeah, but we are better off, and then people accept that because of there's no, they are not really, we are not really better off. With 5% of growth, we are not better, better off. Yeah, we have, a, a, we have the same uh, life the same level of welfare, just like 10 years ago. Nothing changed. Of course, there's nothing worse, but nothing's better. And that's what I want to explore with you next, Made, because, um, you know, it's too early, perhaps, to tell what exactly Prabowo is going to do policy-wise, what exactly his socioeconomic program is going to be, who exactly is going to be in his cabinet, but from your prediction, your anticipation, I want to explore what his presidency could mean for various classes in Indonesian society. Let's start with working class people. What does a Probovo presidency mean for working class 
people, especially blue-collar uh, workers like factory workers or even e-hailing riders or even farmers, fishermen. Um, what could a probable presidency mean for this class of citizens? Yeah, um, into, back to 2014 and 2019, Prabowo tried to be populist as a populist as a, uh, a Jokowi. And he was uh, uh, campaigning uh, for the farmers, for the fishermen, for factory workers that will get uh, uh, social assistance just like uh, before, but with policy. Yeah. But he failed. And then he followed Jokowi. Give free stuff. It's like Jokowi before. Give a free stuff through cards, yeah, to education cards. So the 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 the, the poor will got card to uh, pay for their education, card for this, card for that, and just right right now, uh, 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 free lunch, uh, free milk, and and but substantially uh, in the policy sectors, I think uh, Prabowo have to have. Has to have has to uh, uh, has a very limited uh, policy options because he has to raise the tax. He has to um, uh, what is that? Bring more money to the state covers. Yeah, uh, it's just impossible for that not uh, uh, raising the tax and then raising um, also the retribution. Yeah. For example, right now, even even right now, the sales tax in Indonesia is, is has increased from 10% to 12.5% right now, and it will go to 15%. It probably will go to 25% if the state covers is drained because of uh, expensive program with, with Jokowi. And he has to slash so many programs right now, like a social assistance. And then he has, uh, has to think about whether to raise the minimum wage because the option is uh, limited. If he doesn't have a, a, a huge uh, economic growth, like 7% or 8%, it's impossible to raise a wage. So if the uh, uh, what is it, the economic growth is still uh, uh, 5% or even below that, that probably just more of the same, the inflation will go up than the, 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 the the what is that? Because he needs to uh, print more money if he wants to raise the wage, and then but uh, you know um, uh, he couldn't he couldn't I don't think he could sustain that. Yeah, right. Uh, so you, yeah. you talk about inflation, um, which also then brings me to to the middle class. What does a Probovo presidency? mean for middle-class workers, so your teachers, your middle-class lawyers, your engineers, you know, even small business owners, you know, your people who own your small grocery shops, um, who have stalls by the roadsides, for example, um, or even medium-sized businesses, you know, not the tycoons and, and things like that. Uh, what right. does a Probovo presidency mean for middle-class right. professionals, middle-class workers and small business owners? Yeah, uh, let me begin with this. For the sake of the campaign, uh, Jokowi promised to raise, I think he's already raised in some, uh, the, um, what's that, uh, the salary for civil servants, right. teachers, uh, police, and the military by 12.5%. Yeah. Right. It started for this year. 
before his uh, presidency ended. How could, could we pay for that? And as you have to remember, in Indonesia, the biggest uh, job makers is the state. This is uh, these people, the civil servants, the military, the police, the teachers, were protected very, very good. They have a very good uh, welfare, social benefits that's not enjoyed by uh, uh, workers in other areas. And how could people who are working in the company, in the private sector, catch up with that kind of uh, uh, increase? Yeah. If the Pagawai Negara got increase in their salary, of course, uh, the private uh, workers need uh, a raise also in order to catch up. Otherwise, they were left behind. And nobody think about 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 that in Indonesia. I think a president probably will, will have to deal with that problem because you decrease. That's impossible. It's almost impossible to decrease the salary of the state employee. Yeah. So how, how could you do that? And then you you set up you set up a, a, a higher minimum wage. You will risk the infestation to Indonesia. So. Um, yeah, because of the high labor cost. So how could you do that? This this kind of things. Uh, I think Jokowi just planting a time bomb while he will be away for his retirement, and then his son uh, is only vice president. It's not responsible for policy. And then uh, also, who will be the minister of finance next? Who will be the 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 governor of the Indonesian Central Bank next? That will be uh, because. Jokowi was uh, got uh, his uh, credential for hiring uh, a very capable minister of finance, uh, Sri Mulyani. When Sri Mulyani, if Sri Mulyani is gone, I think the uh, what is that, the trust of the investor to Indonesian economy will be gone too. So um, yeah, this is a difficult choice for President Prabowo next. Uh, and then how how he will deal with that? Uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, uh, all of the spending that President Jokowi uh, made will be paid by President Prabowo. If he couldn't pay it, and then he he has to be prepared that something will resistance will grow and grow in 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 in, 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 in the grassroots. Right. So when it comes to uh, you know, exploring the relationship between the state and the various classes. What does a Prabovo presidency mean for the ultra-wealthy, foreign corporations, oligarchs and aristocrats in Indonesia? Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's an oligarch himself. Right. Yeah, yeah. He, he has a, a couple of billion of US dollars in wealth. So he doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, I don't think he knows uh, uh, anything about people who live uh, uh, on uh, a salary for a day and spend it for a day mm-hmm. for, uh, on that day. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he, he understood that. Um, uh, I think uh, he's also coming from a very ultra rich family. His grandfather's uh, the founders of bank, and then his uh, his his dad was. Uh, 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 Indonesian uh, finance ministers, uh, either in uh, in Sukarno's and, and Suarto's era, yeah, and then um, I think uh, he has an interest to enrich himself and his uh, fellows, uh, uh, oligarch, uh, plutocrats, and super Indonesian super rich. 
So um, I don't think he will sacrifice that in order to have the 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 the, the common people. Yeah, it's just the common people. I think I think uh, who will um, uh, carry all of this burden. And Prabowo has promised that we 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 he will add uh, the expenses with more expenses. Yeah, uh, like a free lunch and free milk and free everything. If it is possible, that's Indonesians. What I really, really regret about how Indonesian elites and intellectuals think about their country is that we have to give, give, and give our common people, the ordinary people. That's how you win the election. How that's how you you hold on to your power. Yeah, by giving the people the money that the state don't have. Right. This so is this kind of mentality. I think uh, uh, nobody talk about the expenses, right? Nobody, nobody talk about the, how how you will manage to to pay for that ambitious program. It looks beautiful, yeah. Of course, everybody uh, uh, want free everything from their life. They're not working, yeah. But you know, at that time, you that that's an expenses, uh, yeah. How could you uh, uh, balance this? Balance the seat. And before we r- wrap this conversation up, Made, would you have some final thoughts for us on the Indonesian presidential elections that just took place? Deep down in the reflection for me, it's a very sad day. Uh, the, the democracy has been betrayed. Uh, the sun, the, what we... Uh, formerly, previously hope that this is the sons of uh, reformation. This is the the fruit of democracy, uh, and what we saw right now is just the rollback of the reform, betraying of uh, democracy. And I couldn't um, uh, what is that? Think more of the uh, a book written by Levitsky. And I forgot the other uh, co-authors. This is saying that democracy is not killed by a dictatorship, but is killed by a politician elected in through democratic process. This is what we have in Indonesia right now. Yeah, we are as an, a people who are active in the nineties. I think I feel that. We are failed. And what I regret most is that some of my friends who were comrades in the 90s now are joining the process of destroying the democracy just for power and money. That's that's the saddest uh, episodes of this election. The rollback, everything every ideal that we have in the 90s. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know you said, you know, it's it's uh, uh, things are looking a bit bleak, but it must be said that people in this region, um, people in Malaysia, activists, um, journalists, so on and so forth, we do look up to Indonesia for a lot of lessons when it comes to building grassroots movements, the, the culture of dissent, how empowered the working class in Indonesia seems to be, 
That, Thank you. That was Made Supriyatma, visiting fellow in the Indonesian Studies Program at the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute. You can find this conversation and others like it as podcasts. You just have to look up Beyond the Ballot Box on the BFM app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.